Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Another edition of the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders in the studio with Greg Pickle, the one and only Greg. We've got a lot to talk about Penn State's place in the new college football playoff rankings after the loss to Minnesota. We got to get to James Franklin's unusual end, I think unusual, to his Tuesday news conference. We're going to talk about some updates with Noah Kane and his health, Micah Parsons and that brief suspension, uh, the state of Sean Clifford, and we're going to close with the Penn State mailbag. All right, Greg, you are our Penn State college football playoff rankings guy, I've decided. Yes. It used to be Dave Jones. He's out. He's out. You're in. Dave Jones is out. The latest rankings came out after Penn State lost to Minnesota. You knew they were going to drop. So my questions for you are, A, where are they? Did it surprise you where they are now? And can you kind of give the fans just like a general outlook towards where maybe they might be headed for the postseason? Yeah, so Penn State dropped from number four to number nine, of course, after losing to Minnesota. And Minnesota up to number eight. It's interesting because at this moment in time, you have Ohio State at number two, Minnesota at number eight, Penn State at number nine. That would leave Penn State in contention for the Orange Bowl because there's two SEC teams currently slotted for the playoff, which is number one, LSU, and number four, Georgia. Mm -hmm. You have number five, Alabama, which would have to go to the Sugar Bowl as the highest rated remaining SEC team. And then the Orange Bowl is against the ACC, so that's they're a shoe into that game mm-hmm. against the next highest rated team from the SEC, the Big Ten, or Notre Dame. And Penn State is the highest team left in that regard. So the options are endless at this point. There's also the college football playoff that could still be in play, of course. The Rose Bowl is not yet out of the question. Yes. Uh, the Outback Bowl is probably the floor at this point in time. The one thing I'll say about this committee is good luck figuring out where it's going to go week to week. I mean, the chairman, Rob Mullins, the Oregon AD, has to recuse himself from three quarters of the conversation. He can't be in the room when Oregon's, you know, in play. So he can't really defend or define why the committee does some of what it it's does. It's messy. It's too messy. It is too messy. It's and and the whole thing is a, a joke, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, it is. Say it. <laughs> it is. I mean, so I understand. We do it that, on the podcast. Uh, in the I Penn understand State Blitz. that ESPN gave the college football playoff a lot of money, and with that comes all these pre-December uh, ranking shows. But if they don't feel the need to have somebody come out and explain the things that Rob Mullen's not in the room for, mm-hmm. then what's the point of the whole charade? So I guess my fair warning to Penn State fans is no matter how the next three weeks of the regular season play mm-hmm. out, they've already set the tone that they, unlike previous committees, might not be able to back up all of their decisions with sound logic. Okay, best guess. We're going to do it every week. Best guess right now. If you had to make one pick for where Penn State's going to be in the postseason – what is it? It's the Orange Bowl because I think Minnesota is going to win out by beating Iowa, okay. Wisconsin, and they have somebody else to throw away on their schedule. Is it North- they play I think it is Northwestern, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's it's yeah. a some some version of Rutgers-Maryland. It's someone at okay. the bottom of the, the conference. I won't so, bog you down with the details. So I think they went out. I think Ohio State at this moment in time, and I, refi- I will save the right to change this pick down the road, but 
I think Ohio State beats Penn State November 23rd in Columbus. Mm-hmm. But I think Penn State, um, by virtue of just the way the rankings will shake out, will be in that conversation to be the highest-ranked non-playoff, non-Sugar Bowl, SEC, Big Ten, Notre Dame team. So to me, the Orange Bowl makes the most sense. The Outback Bowl also makes the most sense. And then after that, I'd rank it Rose Bowl and, of course, CFP last. Okay, before we get to James Franklin's news conference, which was really interesting, is there anything you want to say to me about the Minnesota Golden Gophers after some things you had to say to me (laughs) in the summer about my thought that they might be pretty good this year is there anything you'd like to say yeah just that i hope these guys can't find that audio that is buried away somewhere never to be found again now i was completely wrong on minnesota i didn't think that pj fleck would be able to get this team to play the way that it did i will still hang my hat on the fact that penn state despite everything that went wrong was still in position Correct. to win that game and um you know but after watching them in person i think the thing that's most impressive is the way they execute their plan you know we hear james franklin talk a lot about how Penn State doesn't always maybe enforce its will on other teams, yes. and teams find a way to do to perform their game plan as well as they want to, and Penn State doesn't always have answers. Yes. And I think that's going to be a problem for Iowa and Wisconsin. So I know they're an underdog at Iowa this week. Uh, I know they have to – I think they go to Wisconsin. No, I think they won at Wisconsin last year. I think Wisconsin's there. That's right. So, okay, so they get Wisconsin at home. The big question will be can they you know move on from the – the emotional high of a decade for mm-hmm. any for a program of Minnesota stature, that win, the field storming, everything else. Can they move on and get ready to play Iowa? We'll have to wait and see. You know, Iowa's a three-point favorite. I think I would take the points with the Golden Gophers. Okay, so now we're going to go on to Indiana, who's Penn State's opponent this week. Mm-hmm. They're 7-2, and two, a lot better, I think, also than many people thought. Nice little win streak coming into the game. But James Franklin's news conference, he kind of, it was almost over, Greg. And he had he wanted to bring up or further discuss the two-point try Penn State attempted against Minnesota in the third quarter when they were down. They were down double digits, I think. And had they gotten it, I think they would have been. No, they would have been within three had they gotten it. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it was 24-19 at that point. Right, that's right. Sorry. So they, they went for two, didn't get it. He was asked about it a couple of times, one by Dave Jones after the game. There was a little give and take there. I, I'm not sure James appreciated being questioned because he thought it was right to go for two. Mm-hmm. That, you think that's the end of it, but he brought it up again when we thought the press conference was over on Tuesday, and we didn't really ask him about it, he brought it up. You know, for a coach, that is, his message is always, we're on to the next thing. We're, this is Indiana week. Minnesota's in the rearview mirror. For him to not really move past that three days later, did that surprise you? Yeah, it did. It's just out of character for him. It's not something you see him typically do. I don't really have a problem with sure. what he said. I don't have a problem with going for two. Maybe you have a problem with how the play was executed, yeah. which I think is fair. He actually has a problem with the way the play was executed, mm-hmm. noting that if Ricky Slade goes inside instead of outside, um, that play probably works. But the whole thing was just bizarre. I mean, he's not an emotional guy typically, especially not three days removed from a game, to go on that kind of unprovoked rant. Um, he kind of threw Ricky Slade under the bus, and at the end of it he said – you know, I don't know if he'd be asking those questions if we had executed, which right. kind of throws his whole team under the bus, even though it's right. I don't think there's any argument to be made. Don't get me wrong. The coaching staff had some curious uh, mm-hmm. and questionable decisions. But, you know, there's times when guys were open to make plays. Guys were in position to make tackles. They didn't do it. And that was a big factor in this game with, you know, interceptions, turnovers, things like that. So I don't necessarily agree or disagree with anything James Franklin said. I just really am still puzzled what, what was he hoping to gain with all that? I don't know. He did say he was, it was an event, and I think, I think we Maybe probably should just it. treat yeah. it as that. Mm-hmm. I think he feels a lot better. I think it was bothering him. 
and he wanted him to address it. He should have probably put it to bed over the weekend instead of waiting until Tuesday. But we're going to move on. We're going to talk a little bit about now some of Penn State's prime players. But before we do that, I think there's something you would like to share with our audience. That's right. If you're listening to the Penn State Blitz podcast, remember to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your audio. Post on Penn Live every Thursday morning. But, Bob, if you subscribe, you get it early. So mm-hmm. that's an added So why bonus. wouldn't you subscribe? I know. It's, it's easy to do. It begs go, the question. Yep. Go uh, leave us a comment. If you want to vent to us, feel free. Make sure you uh, you know check that out wherever you get your audio. And then if you're watching the Penn State Blitz video, it's YouTube.com slash All Penn State, where, by the way, you can see James Franklin's By vent. the way. Yeah. I like that. I like that. You can Sorry. see James Franklin venting. Um, yes. Video from Patty Cotter that sort of gives... You know, the quotes are interesting of that whole thing, but I think the video gives more context, just kind of the how. I agree with you. When when you say that you think he was just wanting to vent and sort of get it off his chest and move on, I think the video provides that context more than maybe the text does. Yes, well said. So let's talk about some Penn State player updates. So let's start with Noah Kane. Apparently, a 90% healthy Noah Kane in, in, in the coaching staff's mind wasn't good enough to play at Minnesota when James said the other three running backs, Slade, Journey Brown, who had 124 yards and two touchdowns, and Devin Ford were all 100%. Did that surprise you that he kind of volunteered that information? Yeah. And did it Because he had talked about having him ready to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it would have mattered because they did run the ball yeah. fairly well. But just for him to say that, any surprise there? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe what he should have said or was meaning to say, maybe he meant what he said, I don't know, but... You know, I think maybe more to the point is, was it worth Noah Kane yeah. going from 90% and playing in this week and then against Indiana, he's 60%. Right. At Ohio State, he's 50%. Or is it better to make him 90% now, sit him out 100% versus Indiana and go from there? The other thing I would say, though, is that how many of the guys on that field are 100% right. in November? I mean, there can't be many. So, you know... It, I know. I think I know what he was getting at. Yes. But you know, to say what he said implies that the rest of the team is fully a hundred percent, and nobody is at this point of the year. So maybe Noah's a little bit less than that, where everybody else is at this point in time. And if your thought was, let's get him healthy, make sure we can go have him for the remainder of the sure. season, I have no issue with that. Yeah. Now Sean Clifford did not finish the game a hundred percent. Right. Against Minnesota, he clearly was cramping up. I think it was his right calf. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which one it was. Yep. He was in a lot of pain. James even talked about that. He had very little mobility, I think, on that last possession. He called it a gutty performance. He said he was proud of him. Sean Clifford did not start the game well, missed some throws. The first play that was intercepted, it wasn't a great throw. He bounced some throws. But James said he's going to bounce back because of the kind of kid and kind of player he is. He cares almost too much. I think we've seen, Greg, some examples of him almost caring too much at the start of games. He's... Very a, a very excitable, very emotional player. I think that serves him well as a runner. But um, do you think there are some times in some games where when he's too worked up, it affects his play at the start of games? Yeah, I mean, he said as much back in September. You know, he said after a couple of those early games that I need to calm down. I need to, you know, start a little bit better. We There's been some games we've seen that progression take place. There's some games that maybe it hasn't. And look, he's a, what, 20, 21-year-old kid. It happens. Yeah. It is. The, I mean, he's a college football player. That's going to happen. Inconsistencies define the game in a lot of ways. But, yeah, I, I think this was maybe when you take a look and see how players are going to come out of this game and grow and take positive steps forward in their career, I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that anyone's going to learn more from that game than he will from a number of perspectives, from – 
you know, coming off the field with that cramp and having to deal with that and then go out and try and lead a game-winning right. drive, um, you can say that it, it's not that big a deal, but it's one of those things that until you experience it, you don't know what that's like. You don't know what it's like to throw a game-ending interception. Right. You don't know what it's like to go on the road in that kind of – so uh, the number of, of things he put in his experience bank mm-hmm. for down the road, I think it's invaluable. Yeah, if you remember – very early in Trace McSorley's career, the loss at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. A little bit similar. Threw for a lot of yards, threw a late interception with them poised to win the game. It would have been a tremendous rally. Trace was able to build off that. I think there's a, a case you could make that Sean will be able to do the same thing. Let's talk about Harrisburg High's own Micah Parsons. Behavior modification was the That's reasoning a new one. That's a new for one. him missing the first defensive series of the game, which Minnesota scored a touchdown on. James didn't offer a lot of insight other than the fact that it was that was the that was the quote I have air quotes if you're on the podcast behavior modification was the reason he sat Minnesota's first drive but he was quick to add that Mike is doing very well up there academically he said he's got a lot of structure up there and it's kind of new to him for all of those comments together what did you kind of read into what James was trying to communicate? I think with young players that are in leadership roles, and this team has a ton of them, right? Yeah. I think that sometimes you have to maybe be, and we don't, again, we don't know. And James Franklin, part of his vent was that sometimes we or outside people don't discuss discipline, yeah. don't know everything. So we won't go down that road. But, you know, <laughs> the, I think from an overall general perspective, your leaders, when they're young, maybe sometimes have to be treated a little bit more harshly or unfairly. I don't know if the right word to use, but... I think sometimes you have to hold those guys, and they hold all these guys to a high standard. They do. But if you're a sophomore star, team leader, a guy that can rally the defense, you know, there's some things you have to do maybe off the field and on the field that set good examples for everybody else. And I just wonder if maybe this isn't a situation where it was something minor, but it was also a realization of, hey, you know, we expect you to be this guy and teach these younger guys these things. Let's make sure we're living that way every single day. But we don't know. We have no idea what the discipline was, and uh, it missed a series. Minnesota did score on that drive. I'm not terribly sure how much it would have mattered. Would have mattered if Mike, yeah. yeah, so I guess on Indiana on that front. And he still ended up with 11 tackles, two tackles for loss. He had the only sack in the game. Micah always finds the way, especially in the second half, I think, to make some plays. And hopefully this will be good for him in the long run. We said on to Indiana, now it's on to the mailbag. What mm-hmm. do you have for me? All right, let's start out with this, Bob. When you look at this Indiana-Penn State matchup, and we'll get into it some more in picks and predictions, but... Does it concern you more that uh, Indiana got to see with the bye week what Minnesota did offensively, or do you think Penn State's offense took away so many uh, lessons from the Minnesota game that they will be able to throw all over Indiana's defense, which has struggled a good bit this year? Yeah, I I just don't think that Indiana is constructed the way Minnesota is on offense. They're going to be with their their 1B quarterback, their 1A quarterback, Michael Penix, out for the year. Peyton Ramsey played against Penn State last year. It's completing over 70% of his passes. We'll get to it a little bit later, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a different kind of challenge. I think the fact that Indiana's got to go to Beaver Stadium also helps Penn State cause. The fact that uh, Indiana is 1-21 all-time against uh, Penn State. I just think this is a little bit of a different situation, and I do think that if Penn State can just execute, they miss some plays that could have went for points or, or more yards in the Minnesota game. I don't think they usually miss on them. I think it's all about efficiency this week for Penn State. I think at home they're going to be a lot better at it. Is there such a thing as a trap game? Or is that just a word that we throw around to describe potential emotional letdowns in the event that they do happen? Because I, I just, yeah. it seems like something that 
So many teams now have this one and some sort of variation of the one and zero mindset. The single, yeah. you know, our this is our Super Bowl, yada yada. yada. I just. I don't know if trap games are maybe as common as they used to be. However, Penn State has a chance to be in one here with Ohio State on deck. Minnesota has a chance to have one with uh, going to Iowa after beating Penn State. So is it still a thing? This is not a trap game. I'll tell you why. If they beat Minnesota, this would have been a trap game with Ohio State down the road. The fact they lost to Minnesota, I think the coaching staff has the players full attention. It might take them a little while to get the juices flowing. But if I had lost, I I think I would be pretty fired up. To play this week and put that behind me. I don't think it's a trap game. Had they won, I would say possible trap game. Who has more catches this week? Justin Shorter, Daniel George, or Dan Chisena at Beaver Stadium? Ooh. It's going to be a pretty low number if that wins it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, so I guess yeah. Jahan Dotson should be in that mix too. Yeah. He had three catches on four sure. targets, but he's the starter. So I don't of think those three, I'll yeah. go with Justin Shorter because I think they're going to make a concerted effort to try and put what happened to him in the Indiana game behind him. He you know, he dropped a slant on the first play of the game that's going to go for a first down. That pass that uh, was intercepted by Winfield, the first interception, James said, yeah, he, he needs to throw it deeper. Mm-hmm. Well, Justin's got to track that ball, and he's got to at least try and make a play on the ball and knock it down so it's an incomplete pass. And then he dropped a touchdown pass in the third quarter. I think that James and the coaching staff are aware they need more production from the third receiver, not Hamler, not Dotson. I think they really try and get – Justin Shorter going because they're going to at some point the third receiver with Ohio State two games away if if they're not going to get anything from the third receiver in the Ohio State game I just don't see how they have a shot do you think that uh, we'll leave it roll with this but we're still waiting for Justin Shorter's basically the pinstripe bowl that Chris Godwin had to come I mean he Chris Godwin had some nice moments prior to that but that was kind of the the moment you knew that it was all going to come together for Chris Godwin. We'll see, I guess. Seven if, for 140, I yeah. believe. And the check, catch down the right sideline. The, uh, the nicest that. December night Yankee stadiums ever had. It was great. Um, it was great. I think every player needs a game like that to get confidence. But I think it works the other way. So they won't say it, but if you're Sean Clifford, how much do you trust Justin Shorter at this point, I guess is my question. You've got to earn the quarterback's trust. Justin's done nothing to do that. I think they're going to give him a shot early in the game, but he'd better take advantage of it. He has to. All right. Well, let's move on to picks and predictions after this break. If you're listening to the Penn Live Penn State Football Blitz podcast, if you're watching the video, you can get the next one, youtube.com slash all Penn State. We're going to pick Indiana Penn State, maybe talk some bad beats, and, and who knows, more picks. I can't wait. Okay, the Penn State Blitz podcast is back with Penn State's prediction for the Indiana game. Greg, I don't know if you were right last week about the Minnesota no, game. No, I, I don't can't think you say were. that I was. I wasn't yeah. either. Even though I like Minnesota a lot, I went with Penn State too. Lesson learned. Stick with your original thoughts. I didn't learn my lesson. Are you going to learn your lesson this week? It's Penn State minus 14 against a 7-2 and two Indiana team. That's never won at Beaver Stadium and is 1-21 all-time against the Nittany Lions. James Franklin's 5-0 and against his team. There have been some close calls on his watch. Break it down for me. Yeah, let's first say last week wasn't good between the Penn State-Alabama teaser recommendation and the Penn State pick. Yeah, I think uh, I had Alabama wrong, too. Yeah, let me start with an apology to backers of the Western Michigan-Ohio under. I won't go into the whole story. You won't allow me to, but let's just say. I will say, not allow you to. I heard it off the air. It was about 15 minutes long. That's a pretty bad beat. Um, so apologies to those folks. So Penn State, Indiana, what would you say, 14 let's and 51-ish yeah. in that area. 
I mean, I, I have a hard time thinking Penn State won't rally the troops in the locker room, so to speak, and come out with a pretty good sense of urgency, which James Franklin said they lacked at Minnesota. I think that this Indiana team's doing some nice things offensively. Maybe they challenged Penn State a little bit in the past game, but they won't be able to run the ball. I think Penn State knows that it, it only wants to put on a good performance, but it needs to. That should lead to a pretty comfortable margin of victory. I have at Penn State 44, Indiana 17. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think it's a little bit going to be a little bit more you know low scoring. Excuse me. Penn State won 33-28 last year, and that was you know that was a game where Indiana actually had a chance to win at the end, but Penn State made a little bit of a stand. I'm going to watch Shaka Tony in this game. He had four sacks in the second half. I think they're all in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. in that game. It tied a single game record. He was very quiet, as was Etor Gross Matos against Minnesota's big offensive line. I'm going to be watching Shaka. 33-10, Penn State. No bold predictions, but um, I really am curious to see what Penn State's going to do with their third receiver, not KJ, not Jahan Dotson. Do they try and get this guy established? We're nine games into the season. Is it a lost cause? Do they just feed the ball to KJ, Dotson, and Fryermuth and then throw it to the backs and run the ball? Or do they, do they still want to try and get Justin Shorter and Daniel George on track? I think that's a big question. I think Indiana is improved, but I do like Penn State's chances a lot. I think, I think as James Franklin said, they're anxious to get to this game. They want to play it. They want to forget about Minnesota. Um, I do not see them struggling. If they do, it's a horrible sign going into the Ohio State game the week after. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.